Scripture reading this evening will be read from Acts chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. Acts 4, 18 through 20. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen you more than to God you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Good evening. We're glad you're here tonight. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4. In just a moment, we appreciate Tanner reading our scripture tonight. We're glad that you're here, and we do have a visitation meeting right after our service tonight. And if you would like to be a part of that, we'd love to have you. I know that you would benefit from being a part of our visitation program, and uh, we usually have some food. You may not have brought any food tonight, but I'm sure there'll be plenty for you, and we'd love to have you. And this morning we talked about, one of the things we talked about was service in the kingdom. And this is a great opportunity for you to be a servant in the kingdom of God. And one of the things that is typically done in our visitation meeting is they'll hand out cards or they'll hand out uh, names of people that maybe you could touch base with via card or telephone or whatever. And I said this morning, I really believe it to be the case that all of us can at least write a card. And I was thinking a minute ago, when I was just a kid, just a boy growing up, I cut my teeth on a little book that phrases that were common in that book, see, spot, run. And I thought about little Jordan or Grant, and I thought about, you know what? If you ask them, do you understand, see, spot, run, their, their answer, absolutely. Well, if you can understand that, then you can understand the importance of writing a card that simply says, we missed you, or we love you, we'd like to see you back. And if you'll do that, it'll not only bless your life, but I promise you it'll bless the lives of other folks. You never know what one card or one telephone call or one visit will mean to the life of somebody. To just know that there's someone who cares. And really as Christians, we ought to care about one another. And I think we do. But uh, there are a lot of folks that sometimes get, well, for whatever reason, they fall between the cracks and uh, we don't want that to happen. So if you can be a part of the program tonight, we'd love to have you. We're going to be looking tonight at Acts chapter 4. And in our study tonight, we're going to be talking about the theme that we need just a little bit of what they had. And what we're talking about specifically is the early church. And I think about the fervor, the fire that the early disciples had following the birth of the church of Christ. And if you read the book of Acts, it is a book of action. Over and over again in the book of Acts, you read about the tremendous growth of this institution that we know as the church. I'm convinced that if we had just a little bit of what they had, then we could, like they did, turn the world upside down. But we have to catch the fire as they, in the long ago, had caught the fire. And they did everything within their power to share the gospel to a lost and dying world. The church was founded, established, during the days of the Roman Empire. And Daniel, in chapter 2 of his book, foretold 
of the days that would come when the God of heaven would set up a kingdom that would never be destroyed. If you go back and you look historically at the Roman kingdom, you'll find that it was a godless empire. As a matter of fact, it was, a, it was an empire in which the church flourished. And you had the forces of good versus the forces of evil. The forces of God versus the forces of the devil. And in the midst of the Roman kingdom, we find the church flourished. It was a day in which, it was a day and time in which there were many emperors, particularly toward the latter part of the first century, in which they wanted to be addressed as Lord and God. We talk about America today and the concerns that we have for this country. Some 20 years or so ago, I remember hearing someone make the statement, the observation, that we are now living in a post-Christian nation. That startled me. It was true then, it's true now. We have long since departed from our quote-unquote roots. Our country was founded on the ideals of Christianity and the Word of God. And so if we're going to change the world, then we have to take the gospel to the world. God's Word is still the power that saves the souls of men and women. So I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 4 in our study this evening. And as we look at Peter and John and their evangelistic endeavors, and not just their endeavors, but the endeavors of those who belonged to the church in the first century, there are three things that I think they had that we need tonight. The first has to do with their holy behavior. Think about how radically different the life of a Christian is to those who are in this world. You remember the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, you were once darkness, but he said, now you're light in the Lord. So the exhortation, walk as children of light. There's a difference between light and darkness. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So we're following in the footsteps of Jesus, the light of the world. Our intent is to be lights in the midst of a darkened world of sin and unrighteousness. In Philippians chapter 2, the apostle Paul said, speaking to the saints in the city of Philippi, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So here were people that were radically different. These men that we're reading about tonight were radically different. What was it that made them different? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So let's talk for a minute about their holy behavior. In order for us to appreciate their holy behavior, first of all, we need to understand that the background of what we're going to be talking about begins with a miracle. That is, the miracle that they perform. Now, according to Luke, the inspired historian, these men were apprehended. And we're going to talk about their apprehension. And then we'll note the assessment of these men. But consider, if you would, back in chapter 3, you remember the church has begun. Some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel of Christ, were added to the body, according to verse 47. 
In chapter 3, we find Peter and John had gone to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. In other words, they arrived at about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And there was a lame man that had been lame from birth. And he was asking for alms. In other words, he was a beggar, dependent on people. And so he wanted alms. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. And so he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And the text tells us that this man immediately rose and walked. And no doubt that brought great glory to God. There was a purpose for the miraculous in the first century. Back in Mark chapter 16, when Jesus gave the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he talked about the signs that would be performed by those who believed in him. He said they would cast out demons, they would take up serpents. He said if they drank any deadly thing, it would not hurt them. If they laid hands on the sick, they would recover. The latter part of Mark 16, the Bible says that the apostles went everywhere doing what? Preaching. The Lord working with them with the accompanying signs. In other words, the signs gave credibility. In other words, it authenticated the message. So these men, Peter, John, they're gospel preachers. They perform a miracle. As a result of that miracle, it draws a lot of attention to the cause of Christ, specifically the church of Christ. So in the latter part of chapter 3, we find the second recorded gospel sermon, Peter again preaching the gospel. So I think about the miracle that they performed and then the message that they preached. And that message keyed in on one central individual. You know who that was? Jesus of Nazareth. The thrust of their message was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, over and over again in the first five to six chapters, emphasis is on the resurrection, without which Christianity would be utterly devastated. In Acts chapter 3, in verse 15, Peter said, You killed the prince of life. But he said, God raised him from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Now drop down to chapter 4. In chapter 4, Luke said, As they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Now look at verse 2. Being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Why do you think the Sadducees were, ups, were so upset about what they heard? Well, because Matthew tells us in chapter 22, verse 23, they didn't believe in the resurrection. So here... We have Peter and John preaching the resurrection of the Son of God. Note, if you would, the emphasis by Luke on the message they preached. And the Bible says those members of the council were greatly disturbed. That is, these religious leaders, they were disturbed by what they heard. The Word of God is intended to comfort those who are afflicted. The flip side, though, is it is intended to afflict those who have become too comfortable. God's Word, according to the Hebrew writer, 
He's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so these men were preaching a radical message. As a result of that, they were called on the proverbial carpet. They're called before the Sanhedrin Council. And by the way, the council was made up of about 70 to 72, possibly 74 men, many of which were Sadducees. They were the aristocrats of the day. In other words, they were the rich people. And they didn't appreciate those who would preach and teach a message of the resurrection. The Pharisees, however, they believed in the resurrection. So the Bible tells us these men are apprehended. Drop down and look at verse 5. came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, well, verse, go back and look at verse 3 first. They laid their hands on them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So they're apprehended. Now in verse 5 and following, we're going to see the assessment given by those of the council. Look now at verse 5. There's an interrogation that's going to go on. It came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to the helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is a stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And now listen to what he says in verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You talk about an indicting message. These guys are being interrogated. And they say, look, you are responsible for the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You're the ones that had him put to death. And then add to that that he is the means by which all people will be saved. As Luke records, neither is there salvation in any other. The patriarchal period had come and gone. The Mosaic dispensation had ceased. It had been abrogated, taken out of the way. Now the law of Christ was in effect. Jesus had paid the ultimate price on Calvary, died for the sins of the world, and it would be through him that all people would be saved. Remember the words of Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, note if you would their impression. They've interrogated these guys, but now... As a result of what they have seen and what they've heard, there's an impression that's been made. Verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John 
and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. These guys had not been to any of the famous rabbinical schools. They had not been privileged like Saul of Tarsus to sit at the feet of Gamaliel. They were not, as we would say, formally educated men. But they were educated. They sat at the feet of the great rabbi, Rabbi Jesus. You remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night? And he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do the signs of the miracles which you do unless God is with him. They had the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As a result of that, they had received an education that exceeded any kind of formal education. And they took note of the fact these guys were uneducated and they were untrained. But Luke said they marveled. Why did they marvel? What was it that was so striking about Peter and John? Listen to what is said. They realized they had been with Jesus. Let me ask this question tonight. If someone were to survey your life top to bottom, inside out, and they were to go over your life with, as we would say, a fine-tooth comb, what would they conclude? What would they say about you? Would the conclusion be, here's somebody that has been influenced by Jesus, the Son of God. Would people take knowledge of the fact you've been with Jesus? There's a tremendous passage of Scripture found in Galatians chapter 6, verse 17, where the Apostle Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I think Paul bore physical marks upon his body for his preaching and teaching, his evangelistic endeavors. And you can go back and read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and see the abundance of of trials and tribulations that he experienced. Spiritually speaking, each and every one of us ought to have some identifying marks in our lives that say to people, to say, that say to the world, we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. When they listen to you talk, is the conclusion, you've been with Jesus. When they observe how you interact with other people, how you treat one another, is the conclusion you've been with Jesus. The way you dress, the way you carry yourself in the community. Does it say you've been with Jesus? These guys had the marks of Christ on them. And let me tell you what, we talk about needing just a little bit of what they had. We need it. The world is going to hell. And the only thing that's going to save a lost and dying world are those of us who belong to the body of Christ who have the willingness and the desire to take the gospel and share it with other people. And it begins with a transformed life. You remember when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth? And he said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. I don't care what your past has been. If you're in Christ, what's in the past is in the past. And what Paul is saying is, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So what a great impression these men made on the council. Now, the council didn't like it. They didn't appreciate what they heard. But you know what? They needed to hear it. 
There are a lot of people in our world today, they may not appreciate our message, and whether they realize it or not, they need to hear it, and they need it. There's a second thing that I think stands out about these guys. First, their holy behavior. And then secondly, their holy boldness. Don't you think the church today needs some people that have boldness? Consider first of all the command. The council is going to make some commands. Well, they're going to set forth some decrees or a command to Peter and John. And the bottom line is they're going to tell them you don't need to be preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. Now listen to what the record says beginning in verse 14. They saw the man who had been healed standing with them, and they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to be set aside, that is to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves. And you can just imagine this body of religious leaders sitting down and talking about what's just happened. The evidence is in. Peter and John, what they've done, there's no getting around it. And so they confer among themselves. And then listen to what they ask. What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. At least they were honest about that. I give them credit for that. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So first, the truth of the matter. The truth is, what they've done cannot be denied. But now, they're going to threaten them. Verse 18, they called them back in. And the text says they commanded them not to speak at all. That is, you don't even open your lips or mouth. You don't say one word in the name of Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I look around in our world today and I specifically look at the moral character of our nation, it is abysmal. You talk about a, a sad, dark, dreary, gloomy portrait. That's America as we know it. And we're living in a day and time when there are so many people, some folks who claim to be religious, some who may even be members of the church, who are more concerned with being politically correct than biblically correct. These guys were threatened. Don't you open your mouths in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter talks about how they were being grieved with various trials. If you don't think tough times are coming in this country, 
I would encourage you to just step back and objectively look at what's going on around you. And if you don't think the day's coming, it's already here, where folks are trying to bridle the truth of Almighty God. We got a lot of folks in our world today, they're so concerned about being politically correct that they wouldn't say something is right or wrong for their own very lives. I'll tell you what, as, as members of the body of Christ, we need to step up to the plate. And we need to have some courage and conviction like these men. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And say, you know what? Here's what the Bible says. You see, when I read about their command, I also read of the countermand. Note, if you would, verse 19. Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. Now, you talk about courage. These guys are sitting in the cradle of the council, the religious hierarchy of that day. And they're being told, Don't you say a word in the name of Jesus Christ. What are you going to do when somebody tells you, you can't talk about Jesus here. You can't read your Bible here. The home is under attack. And we got folks today that are not even willing to stand up for the home. I know all about gay marriage. And I know all about the homosexual lifestyle. I've read about it. I've seen it. And let me tell you what. God's word hasn't changed one iota. Jesus said, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? That is God's definition of marriage. It will never change. I don't care what the president says. I don't care what our senate says. I don't care what our house of representatives say. I don't care what our local leaders say. I'm saying this is what God said. And that's all that matters. We need to stand up and say, you know what? This is what the book says. What about abortion? Did you know that since 1973, about 50 million babies have been aborted in this country? Now, we talk about the woman's rights, and I'm all about women's rights. I believe women ought to have certain unalienable rights, just like men. But what about that baby's rights? What about that child within the womb? What about his or her rights? Seems to me like we've gotten so out of whack, we can't even discern right and wrong, truth and error. The Supreme Court in 1973 opened the door to abortion on demand. Do you not think when they stand before the judge of all the earth, he's not going to do what's right? I promise you he's going to do what's right, as Abraham said. And let me tell you what, they're going to give an account to Almighty God for opening the door in this country to some 50 million innocent babies. What are we doing to voice our concerns? When's the last time we stood up and said, you know what, this is wrong. It's sinful. It's an abomination in the eyes of Almighty God. Silence. The devil operates 
on a daily basis, 24-7. He's at work every day. And one of the great tools of the devil is to muzzle the mouths of those of us who belong to the body of Christ. Intimidation. Don't you think these guys were trying to intimidate the apostles? Trying to run roughshod over them? To try to tell them, look, you don't need to stand up and say, this is right or this is wrong as it relates to Jesus of Nazareth. There are folks in our world today they don't like the truth and they don't want to hear the truth. But you know what? They need to hear the truth. Paul asked this question, Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Phyllis said one time he didn't care if it hair-lipped every cow in Texas. It's true, it's true. And I think the time has come for those of us who belong to the body of Christ to arm ourselves with some courage and to stand up and to speak out. You know what? If evil is going to win the day, it's going to win because good people like us sit back and say nothing. Don't say a word. We don't ever say one word on behalf of Almighty God. This book right here is the answer to our country's problems. I promise you. Now, I know the president doesn't understand that. And I know the vast majority of the Senate doesn't understand that. I know the House of Representatives I know they don't understand that. This book's the only thing going to get our country back on track. If you think the Democratic Party and the Republic, Republican Party are the answers to the ills of our nation, then I've got some land to sell you right out in the middle of the ocean. They don't have a clue, not one clue, from top to bottom, inside out. But I can tell you right now, this book will get us back on track. This book has been relegated to the background. And we have pushed it out, out, out. We don't want it in our homes. We don't want it in our schools. We don't, we don't want it in our courthouses. We don't want it in our government bodies. And we're paying a heavy price. And here's the question we might ask our political friends. How's it working out for you? How are things working out for you in Washington? Let me tell you how things are working out. It's an absolute mess. Because we have a lot of folks that don't have one clue about how to run a nation. I don't care if they are a Republican or a Democrat. They don't have a clue. And why is that? Because they've abdicated this book that we call the Bible. We need some courage. And then we need some conviction. Where's our conviction? You know, children of God ought to have some backbone, some spine. We ought to arm ourselves with courage and conviction. I want you to listen to what Peter and John said in verse 20. You listen to what they said. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That's conviction. That's courage. You don't need to preach and teach in the name of Jesus. Look, we can't but speak the things we've seen and heard. That's what we need to be about. This message ought to be burning in our hearts. I'm all for our nation. We pray for our leaders, as Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, from the president on down. We pray they'll make wise decisions. But right now, 
When I look at the political landscape of our country and the moral landscape, I don't see a lot of encouraging signs. But I can tell you how we can get it back on track. Not the medicine people want, but it's the medicine they need. It's called God's Holy Word. You know what this book is called? The Holy Bible. There's a reason for that. Because it is a Bible that makes people holy. Holy in the eyes of Almighty God. So they said, we can't but speak the things we've seen and heard. Think thirdly about their holy broadcast. I want to begin by very quickly talking about their time with Jesus. Now back in Acts chapter 4 verse 13, the Bible says, The council perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, but they marveled. Why? Because they realized they had been with Jesus. That's the difference maker. You see, these guys had the opportunity to observe firsthand the miracles of Jesus. The miracle that they performed at the gate of the temple was a marvelous thing. Many more miracles occurred in the first century. But Jesus was the master miracle worker. You can read the book of John. And you can go through the book of John and there are seven specific miracles recorded. And John said many other signs. Truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. They saw the miracles. And then what about that message of Jesus? You remember Peter in John chapter 6 when many of the disciples were going back and no longer willing to follow Jesus? And he asked the question, will you also go away? And Simon Peter spoke up, the very same Peter that we're talking about here. And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. What they saw and what they heard made a profound impression on them. So consider their testimony. Look again at verse 20. Peter and John said, We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Here's what I want you to think about. Everything that you have seen and heard about Jesus as recorded in this book. Has it made an impression on your life? Has it changed your life? Has it revolutionized the way you live, the way you act, the way you think? If it has, don't you think this message needs to go out into all the world? Remember Jeremiah when he said in the long ago in Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 9? I'm not going to speak anymore in his name. And he said, his word was in my heart like a burning fire. And he said, I was weary with forbearance. I couldn't hold it back. That's what we need in this country today. And it begins right here. Right now. We need just a little bit of what they had. I want you to think about this as we close tonight. If we had just a smidgen of what they had in the first century, it would be a different place to live in America, wouldn't it? 
You know why? Because we would be rattling some cages. There's some folks, they need to be shaken up. They need, they need their cage rattled. They need their chain pulled. And we can do it. We can change this world for the better with this book. We've got to have what they have, just a little bit. And if we'll take that and we'll do our best, I promise you, we'll see a lot of good come forth. Isaiah said in the long ago, God's word would not return to him void. I believe that. And I really believe today that the church can make a difference. It made a, it made a difference in a pagan culture in the first century. If it made a difference in Rome, I promise you it can make a difference in America or Europe or wherever. We just have to have enough faith to believe it and put it into practice. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we believe, therefore, we have spoken. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to come to Christ. To put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. To recognize that He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. To repent of your sins. To confess the name of Christ before others. To be buried with Him in a watery grave of baptism. Why do you need to do that? So your sins will be washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen. If you'll do that, God will put you in the church. And you can then be a light bearer in a darkened world of sin. And the promise is if you'll be faithful until death... God will bestow on you the crown of life. If you're here tonight and you're not what you ought to be, could we pray with you and for you? We had the opportunity today to pray with some precious people. And we'll pray for you tonight and with you as we stand and sing.